We, uh, when I do premarital counseling, I do love a worship guy that has a Bible. <laughs> when I do premarital counseling, you, you try to walk between, really, there are two places you don't want them to go before they marry. One is where they already are when they come into your office. You know, they're sitting down, they're holding hands, they're looking at each other, winking, and they're just, their idea is it's just going to be nothing but bliss. You don't want them there. You want them to understand they're going to face some issues. Personality differences, one's a man, one's a woman. Uh, love language issues. He wants a certain thing. She wants a certain thing out of the marriage. Background issues. There are all sorts of things that are going to surface. Now, the other place you don't want to go is you don't want to, when you do premarital, as you work them through some of that, you don't want them to come over here and go, well, baby, I, I guess we should marry, but it's going to be miserable. But God's told us to, so let's go ahead and do it today. we got an hour. Let's, let's do it. You don't want them there either. Do you want them somewhere in between? You want them somewhere where they're kind of like, they understand that there are certain issues, but not everybody faces the same things, and you just want them to be ready. Now, the passage we come to, we've arrived at in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, is exactly that kind of passage. It's a preventive maintenance passage. I don't want you leaving here today thinking that after we look at this passage that everything that is going to happen to you this year is going to be awful and that the world is going to fall apart, obviously, because of the passage we live in. So I don't want you on that pole, nor I want you on the pole of the people on TV who tell you that, man, if you're a believer, everything will be fine. The reason they say that on TV is you can't get into their office to ask them why they were wrong. So... We don't want to go there either. And we're stepping into a section of Scripture, though, in 2 Corinthians that's a little bit difficult. It's going to take us a couple weeks to work through it. And as I've shared before, this is not... Paul's difficult to understand here. He doesn't really follow sequentially things like he does in all his other books. He's really struggling. And it's out of that struggle that things seem to, obviously under the direction of the Spirit, but they're coming out of just... His own personal struggle. The most personal book he wrote in the entire New Testament is the book we're in. He's struggling with the fact that people have followed him behind the church and they're attacking him. We've already been in a section where he defended part of his ministry. He's struggling with his own failure. We're going to learn about that in 2 Corinthians 12. He's struggling with this church. This is probably the fourth letter he's written to them. Besides being there a year and a half, this church is tender to his heart, and they just can't seem to get it together. So he's struggling with that. Then he's struggling with his own trials. He talks about the fact that he said, I thought we were dead. All these things are sort of erupting in him. In the passage we're in particularly, he's easing away from his defense, but he's moving into a segment that isn't logically connected. He moves into a segment where he's going to talk about life here and life there. And he's going to join them with maybe the most unique phrase in the entire Word of God. He's going to use the phrase, the weight of glory. 
And from that phrase, he's going to tie together what living here means to living there and how those relate. Inside the passage today, he talked about last week, remember, the fact that the glory of God indwells us and is contrasted with our earthly life, and so we show off God's presence. Now, he's going to give us today certain things that allow for that. As a matter of fact, before we look at verse 8, look down in verse 10. Always bearing about the death of Jesus in the body in order that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our body. In other words, we go through struggle. Remember what he said in 1 Corinthians, I die daily. He said we're going through struggles that cause us to die daily. And the reason we want to die is so that Jesus can be manifested. You can't love him and yourself. You have to die to you and be alive to him. For we who live are being delivered over because of Jesus to death in order that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our mortal flesh so that death works in us but life in you. And then he makes a statement. How do you know that? And listen to what he says. Having the same spirit of faith based on what is written, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore we also speak. Now listen. You got a sandwich here. He starts out saying the glory of God is in our mortal bodies. He comes back down here, verse 10, talks about the same thing, but he sort of examines it and he says, The death of Jesus is in us, so the life of Jesus will be manifested. And we do that by what we believe. Now, that's what he says. Now, in between those things, going to give you today four problems, four promises. Now, I don't want you to go out of here today when we finish this passage and say, oh my goodness, I'm headed for all sorts of problems. No. But, let's be clear, we're in a broken world, we are going to face some times, and I simply want you to understand today, he gives you Four problems, four promises, and these types of problems, although difficult for us, what he's saying is, if we believe correctly, in the middle of these four problems, if we believe the promise that's adjacent to the problem, if we believe that, it will set the life of Jesus free in us and allow his death to come across so that people don't see us, they see Christ. So, here are the problems and the promises. Here's the first one, verse 8. Being pressured in everything, but not crushed, not closed in. Now, the Greek word philipsis for pressure here was a word used when they would stomp grapes and turn it into wine. Sometimes we do have things that are pressure. In other words, they just stay there. We go to bed, it's there. We get up, it's there. We go through the day. Even if we lose sight of it for a moment, something happens, it resurfaces. We do have things that bring that kind of pressure on us. If you love Jesus, 
and you're locked in the scripture and you're church oriented and you have a child who's graduated from your home, he's left home, and he uh, or she, they don't walk with Jesus. They don't go to church. They're not raising their children in Christ. That's an unrelenting pressure. It'll stay here when you go to bed. It'll be there when you wake up. When you go to church on Sunday, the place that you think, oh my goodness, this is the place where we ought to get some respite, and you see a young couple and they're bringing their kids, just keeps hammering. There are certain things in our life that are that kind of pressure laden. What he says, though, is even though you're going to face some things that have the kind of pressure, he will not let you be crushed. That Greek word literally is used, if you saw the fourth Star Wars, the first real Star Wars, when they're in the little deal and the walls are closing in, they're just about to be crushed. That's what that Greek word means. Things are being closed in to the point where you can't get out and you're about to be crushed. He says, listen, we may face some problems of enormous pressure, but they will not crush us. Why? What do I believe that knows that's true? Because in John and Romans 8, it talks about the fact that when I can't pray, when the life's being crushed out of me, and I'm just, I, I've prayed for my kids and prayed for my kids and prayed for my kids, and I don't know what to pray, I don't know how to pray anymore, I'm at this tremendous loss, and I just feel like I'm pressed in what Romans 8 says is, when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit in you prays for you. And then we had, and, and when you finish those two verses, then you come to the Baptist verse in that section. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. The reason when that pressure is just unrelenting and you can't even come to church without facing it, it will never be allowed to crush you because even when you come to a point where you can't pray, the Holy Spirit in you prays on your behalf and something good, decent, and right will come out of everything in your life so there's the first problem of the promise here's the second one play on words operuminoi but not ex operuminoi lost or to be at a loss but not lost that's literally the greek first word is to be at a loss something's happened i don't see a way out i don't know a way out i can't fix it and i'm at a loss as to how this thing's going to work out but not lost. I remember a few years ago, I was talking to a friend from Midland. We were in Houston with something, and somehow the Enron stuff came up. He's my age, and we were talking about it, and I was discussing how horrible it was that so many people lost enormous amounts of money in that mess. He looked at me, and he said, yeah, he said, I lost $832,000. I said, what are you talking about? He said, Chris, I've been working in that field since I was 20. It's 32 years of saving. I said, what, what are you taking out? He said, are you kidding? Every year on the sheet, they showed us. They said, it's 23% gain. He said, there's nothing in the stock market that's close to 23% gain. Every year we're getting this maximum. We see it on paper. 
He said, I've lost it all. I said, well, there's some loss that you regain. He said, we won't regain much, maybe $32,000, $40,000. And then he made this statement to me, which is exactly the first word in the Greek. The problem at a loss. He said to me, he said, you know, I'm, I'm 52. This has been 32 years of life saving. I can't get it back. I can't recover it. I can't retire. I have no idea how this is going to work in my life. That's the meaning of the first word. I'm at a loss. I don't see. I don't know. I've got a problem that threatens me. And to be honest, I can't fix it. And, I, and when I look, I don't see any way for it to be fixed. So when he faces that, and here's the other thing now, just as an aside, obviously, you're not sinning against God when you struggle with what happens in your life. It's okay to be at a loss. Paul said he, at times, was at a loss. So how do you not become lost in the middle of that? With this understanding, I believe, therefore I've spoken. Listen to this. We all know it. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. He can read that and say, yeah, that was to Israel, but it's also to me. I don't see a way out, but that does not mean he doesn't see a way out. I don't know how to fix this doesn't mean he doesn't know how to fix it. And because I can't fix it doesn't mean he can't fix it. What the enemy will always make us think is that God is on our level. He is nowhere near our level. His plans, no matter how dark it can be in this world, his plans are always for a future and hope. Then he says, And most of your translations are going to say persecuted, and that's quite legitimate. But here's literally the Greek. Being hunted, but not abandoned. Say hunted. That's what persecution comes from. Persecution comes. Now, again, I know us. 21st century, 2016, internet savvy, smart people. All of us have an enemy that hunts us. I want you to listen to Jesus. If you believe everything else he said, I want you to listen to this. With his disciples, after they've left the upper room, they're on the way to Gethsemane. I won't speak many more things with you. For the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. 
You have an enemy who hunts you all the time. We're going to, in April of 2017, have a pretty large pastor's conference here. There are five of us putting it on. Uh, it's going to be here at Central, but Matt over at the Stone in Austin, uh, Josh at MacArthur Boulevard in Fort Worth, Nathan at Northeast in Houston, and then Kevin at First Baptist Georgetown. We're going to put this on for pastors across the state and their wives. So we were, we're divvying up what we will be speaking on at the conference, the five of us. And of course, they look at me as the old coot and said, Chris, why don't you do finishing well? <laughs> I said, I, I appreciate that. I understand I, I like Branson. I, I know what that means. I know I'm headed for the nursing home. I, I got that, but... So I said, okay. Now, the problem is, uh, young pastors, particularly, as many of you today, do not really think they're being hunted. They're so caught up in their ministries, they don't see the hunter. I'm at a place in my life I don't want you to take anything I say bizarre here. I'm just going to be as honest as I can be. I'm in a place in my life where I'm most nerved by the hunter. Because I know at this point in my life is the best time when he would love to take me down. So I'm most nerved at this point. There are days I'm just going to tell you my heart here. There are days when I sense his spirit, and there are days when I sense other spirits against me. You don't always sense that, but there are days when you know there's a presence in the room that isn't holy. So I know he's there. And I know he hunts me. And I know he's smarter than me. His brilliance is off the charts. He talked Adam and Eve out of what they had into what we have now. He's really smart. I know me. When I look in the mirror, I know how ignorant I can be. I know how susceptible I can be to his whims. I know how sometimes that word is not paramount. And so I know me. So I'm nerved at this point. But I know one truth. I'm not abandoned. Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, God Almighty indwells me if 
I live just these verses out. If I just seek to die daily and I seek to allow Jesus to fulfill my life, if I do that, then when the enemy comes into my room, he doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. He's not afraid of me, but he fears him. If I stand down and I let Jesus stand up, he loses every single time. You say, well, it's a great preacher, but I failed. My reputation shot. I, I blew it. Does it say there that he leaves you if you blow it? No, sir. Paul prays for two things in almost every letter. Grace and mercy. They seem like he's just saying the same thing. Oh, no, no, no. Charis. The Greek word for grace refers to God's forgiveness, unmerited, over your sin. You've blown it. His grace comes in, washes that sin away, picks you up, and lets you start over. You say, yeah, but I'm dealing with all sorts of consequences the Greek word elios, mercy, is never used for the forgiveness of sin. It's, it's sometimes, but for the most part, it is used for the consequences of sin. Yeah, you're going to go through some consequences. He doesn't leave you there either. He will massage you spiritually until he pulls you out of the mess you put yourself in. He never abandons anybody. That's why you know you go home. When you die, you are never abandoned. And then finally, this is the hardest. Cast down, but not destroyed. Probably most of us will experience pressure. Most of us, all of us, will be hunted. We're probably all going to have some point in our life where we're just at a loss. I don't know that all of us will come to a place where we're cast down. Cast down is a whole different thing. I mean, the Greek word literally means to take something and just throw it into the ground. Certain of you, though, I called a young couple and asked if I could share their story, and they said, yeah. And it was interesting, the call, because it was two years ago today. Had a young couple in, that go here, married them, so I've been involved in their life. Called me one day, they've been trying to get pregnant, couldn't, and sort of went through all the medical stuff, and suddenly became pregnant, so excited. Rejoicing with them, great day. And then a couple months later, the doctor calls and says, Look, we, getting old, we see some abnormalities. So to make a long story short, the doctor finally, when they run the test, said, Uh, 
you're going to have to deliver Caden. But he won't live long after birth. And sure enough, it's two years ago today that uh, she delivered him. Little guy came out and lasted three minutes and died. If you're that couple, it's not going to happen to all of you in this room. But for some of you, that's cast down. You're just thrown to the ground. You're just in your gut. You can't even breathe. Now, and, and the problem of being cast down, it stays there. You know? When I drive to the airport and go past the Aggie Field of Honor where we laid that little guy to rest, I don't drive past that without thinking about Caden. So I can't even imagine what mom and dad think about. On the year anniversary of his death, we went out to the field of honor, his gravesite, let some balloons go, came back to the church, did a really pretty neat thing, but I think this is part of the deal. We, they, we came back to the church and they had a lunch and had a lot of friends in, and the friends talked about what Caden meant in, in their lives, even though they only lived three minutes. Don't anybody tell you, every child. <sighs> That's value. I don't care how long they live. So, you know, that didn't... Uh, I mean, it's, it's powerful, but you're still, you struggle. And then two weeks ago, they gave birth to Jackson. Healthy. Robust. Not as a replacement, but as an add-on brother. You may be cast down, but you hang in there, which is what they did. He will not let you be destroyed. You know why? Because it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what your family says. It doesn't matter what your friends say. It doesn't matter what people at work say. Doesn't even matter what people say on Facebook. God always has the last say. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that not many of us face a cast-down moment. But I thank you that even when we do, we can't be destroyed. Thank you for winning at every moment in our life. 
no matter what we face, no matter what we experience. Father, for those here that don't have that because they do not have Jesus, reach them through your Holy Spirit this morning. In Jesus Christ's name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You've never met Jesus. We want you to find him today. If you're here and you know Jesus, but you want to be a part of this community and this fellowship, we want you to do that. If you need to just come down here and kneel and pray, we're more than glad to do that with you. So as the Spirit of God moves on your heart this morning, you come.